Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. Making positive choices when cooking and eating is something most of us strive for. So I'm delighted to say that for the month of December, I've teamed up with an Irish family-run company whose ethos is exactly that. I've been a big fan of Dr. Coy's health foods for years now. I use their stevia in my morning coffee every day and their delicious chocolate is also full of nutritional benefits and gives you energy without the sugar crash. And to celebrate our partnership, they're offering 25% off their entire range of nutritional products. Simply go to their website, drcoys.ie and use the code Sheila25. This week, I chat to fertility coach and psychotherapist, Helena Tuberty. We are looking for <laughs> fabulous sex. Okay. Absolutely fun, playful, erotic, lunatic, quickies, on the stairs, you name it. <laughs> we are looking for raw, real sex. I that love it. I asked so you about satisfying. I asked you about the cycle and you went straight in. Boom. This is the stuff that matters. So you so basically what you're telling me is you can get in tune with the cycle all you want, but if you're not having the all-important sex, good luck to it all. Absolutely. Okay. Human beings, you know, are actually relatively subfertile. Right. We are not. Are we? Apart from, you know, I'm, you know, in spite of what the nuns told us, <laughs> that if we looked at a bloke, we'd be, you know, incredibly pregnant and disgraced for the rest of our lives. It's not the case. You only actually really have about a 21% chance each month naturally. That's people under the age of 30 who are at it like rabbits. Helena has been helping women and men to achieve pregnancy naturally and those who are preparing for IVF for over 30 years. She also offers support to people who are experiencing the pain of miscarriage, stillbirth, birth trauma and subfertility. I met her for the first time at wellbeing event Soul Space in September 2019 and I felt a connection with her instantly. 
She's an independent professional and not affiliated with any brand or company. So any mentions of products or clinics in this podcast are simply to provide information which may be useful to you. And she covers so much in this comprehensive chat from the importance of having good sexual and reproductive health, the differences between semen analysis and DNA fragmentation, AMH levels and what they mean, the pros and cons of IVF, and what we can do to boost our chances of conceiving naturally and having a healthy pregnancy. She also answers a selection of questions that were sent in on Instagram, and I started by asking her to tell us a little bit about herself. I began life as a nurse and then I became a midwife and we did a lot of preconceptual care as part of that and long postnatal stuff. I was involved the very early days of IVF and that was so new and so exciting and so exclusive. And coming from a veterinary family as well, the sense of, you know, how, you know, mares are looked after in the racing world, all of that. So I always had an affinity with birth with caring mm. for people. And then, of course, it, I did a lot of um, I went off the rails completely, left a permanent pensionable job and became a therapist doing reflexology, aromatherapy, body work. I had a, a little uh, clinic way late 80s back in, in Donnybrook. And there was a warning out against me that uh, people were getting pregnant. So don't go near Helena. <laughs> because you'll get pregnant. So it took me a while to cop on to that. And then I decided that, you know, definitely the emotional aspect was important. So psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, and that's how that all came about. So fertility, it's such a huge, huge area. There's so much to cover. Uh, it can bring up a lot for people. And I'll certainly include trigger uh, warnings in the show notes because it can be a, a tough topic for people because Sometimes it leads to pregnancy and a baby in your arms and sometimes it doesn't. Um, But this conversation we hope will, I hope, will educate people maybe a little bit more or if not educate, certainly empower them to, you know, investigate themselves and maybe look a bit bit deeper and and ask questions. Because oftentimes I think we're trundling on in life and we get swept up in the the normality of life without actually looking at, OK, how is my day to day behavior impacting my health and well-being? And that is something that is so important. And I know you speak so passionately about. So I suppose I want to kind of go right back and talk about the stage where you start to think, OK, I'm now going to see if, you know, having a baby is in my life plan and can I do this? What is your recommendation for people, for men, for women? in terms of those early stages of prep? I think it is, um, we focus on fertility in a very narrow way. Fertility is a marker of general health, not just your own health, your parents and your grandparents. It's generational. There is a lot that you can do to boost your fertility, to maximize it, to optimize it, simply by you know, the basic rules of, you know, the five pillars of health of eating and sleeping and exercising, taking care of yourself, all the things we know. And the other thing is minding general health, things like sexual health. When someone, you know, starts having sex, uh, screening for STIs regularly and openly. And you, I suppose the, the whole feeling of knowing that at some stage, most people are going to try to have a baby. 
and the you know the feeling that being on the same page and perhaps maybe even beginning to consider that it is a life option a little bit sooner rather than later and that's somewhere we have changed a lot over the generations mm. people are inclined to be a little bit older starting off and you know i find in my practice that that can often be from the guys uh, women are very much aware of their you know times and men feel that they're like picasso and rod stewart you know go on forever um, and that's not the case you know studies are really showing now male fertility is really under the spotlight at last guys have been the the cinderellas of the fertility world both under investigated under diagnosed and under treated and not included as part of that dyad um, so I do believe that it is very very important and certainly I've noticed over the years people who follow some very basic tenets sleep is absolutely vital we're hearing a lot about it now which is fantastic mm. but it's it's generally lifestyle and it isn't suddenly saying you know a three-month span okay I'm going to go to bed early I'm going to you know do my runs I'm going to eat healthily and I'm going to you know drop sugar and dairy and gluten it really is a little bit more long term than that for optimum results you are talking about the health of the baby and the health of the pregnancy a guy's age is pivotal and the health of sperm declines and you get much more DNA fragmentation over time you know it's like deletions uh, the more you photocopy from the same sheet and that is what's happening with the replication of of sperm spermatogenesis as we call it and I think to to be aware of that um, and you know even the sense of how much alcohol we've been consuming as a nation we are inclined to do the binge things that does have an effect on liver function on general health fertility isn't isn't exclusively confined to the gonads it's not exclusively confined to the thyroid uh, it is a whole body experience for instance you know um, when you consider it uh, the effects of stress stress doesn't necessarily cause infertility it certainly has a role and it causes an awful lot of it. And if you consider how human beings are hardwired to run away from danger, to, you know, focus all the energy on the muscles that are needed for flight or for fighting, um, the sense of shutting down unnecessary activities. Ovulation is one. It's like run away from that hungry lion. You can ovulate later. Okay. And get you to survive. Mm. So it is that is an important aspect as well. The actual lifestyle. And, you know, most of my clients would have me. I'm not stressed. Um, I just have a busy life, a wonderful life, an integrated life. And when you kind of dial it back, it's very pressured. It can be a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. And again, as you said, women do bear the brunt of all of the prep for pregnancy an actual pregnancy, anything that happens along the way. And guys have a different role, a different view. Are they disempowered? I mean, is it on, is it on, are we being on, like, not that we're, are we being unfair on them? Because I, I fully appreciate as a woman that, you know, it is really, we're, we're doing the heavy lifting, but are we disempowering our, our partners, our male partners by, but but doing it all or taking it all on, as it were, and kind of assuming that they're grand. Uh, certainly, that's the drum I've been beating for years, that when you go to see um, a consultant, 
about fertility, you're seeing a gynecologist who may also be a reproductive endocrinologist. You're not seeing no guy ever says, I'm running off to see my andrologist. Yeah. People don't even know the word. Yeah, so, actually, for, for that reason, let's explain. And an andrologist is? An andrologist is an amazing person who's been undervalued. A I'm, mystical I'm looking, creature. A wonderful, rare <laughs> how beast. Many, how many of them exist? <laughs> we never uh, hear about them. We don't hear about them. They look um, at men's health. They are men's... Uh, reproductive and urological health. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, back in my nursing days, urologist was somebody who's kind of like, you know, guys with um, enlarged prostates, middle-aged problems, you know, leaky willies type of thing. And it was not very fashionable. So yeah. the sense now that it is really exciting to see what's going on with the, not just the, I suppose, if you look at the male reproductive system, mm. it's a bit more like a, a barbershop quartet. The women's is more like a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guys, is a little bit simpler, but very important steps and very fragile, very delicate. So the, there's the making of the sperm. There's the transportation of them. So there's a lot of plumbing. And then, of course, you have the hydraulics. And that is the actual erection that delivers and, you know, any one of those stages, they're mediated by hormones and they can be out of kilter. Mm. So a lot of it and a lot of the work I do with people, the sense of advising and doing forensic, what's missing in this puzzle? You know, everybody's been doing whatever they've been doing and it's coming back from there and saying, OK, so you're worried that, you know, your bloods are off in some way and this is the symptom that is showing and you haven't been getting pregnant in spite of doing X, Y, Z. Where are these results coming from? What's driving them? What's underneath them? Mm. So it's really interesting because everybody is different. Every couple is different. And often it is a question, not so much of that word I don't like, infertility. And I mean, I'm glad in, in my over course of my career, it's changed from being sterility to infertility. But it really is subfertility, generally speaking, where there's a little something off. It's um, a lovely consultant I used to work with described it as a meeting of pathologies. Mm. The sense that a little bit off here, a little bit off there is nearly more than the sum of its parts. So it is worth looking at both and boosting. just boosting and optimising. From your experience, so, you know, if infertility is a term that we should may perhaps avoid using or leave aside and use subfertility, subfertility then can change to yes. fertility. Absolutely. So it really, I suppose, it puts a spotlight on the sense of, OK, interestingly enough, We've got a few little issues going on here. Let's find out what they are. Let's really explore this and not just get you pregnant. Uh, It is to have a healthy pregnancy right the way through, as I always say, to a nice, easy birth and to a lovely fourth trimester where you have a very healthy, strong baby that sleeps and feeds and grows does the same again, fills nappies and is a joy and a delight. Whereas, you know, again, with the paternal age, studies are showing that the risks to the pregnancy of preeclampsia, blood pressure issues, preterm birth, low birth weight and, you know, cardiac anomalies for that child's later life. Uh, even things like, you know, spectrum disorders are implicated. So, you know, having what women really need to do is, um, I suppose, 
be on the same page with their partner. And mm. I find that many women are very kind and willingly shoulder the brunt of everything. It's like, I don't want to disturb him. I don't want to put him out. I don't want to make him feel bad. And it's like, do you know what? That actually is not maybe the best thing in the long run, mm. that the sooner it's on the table that this is happening, we need to do something. It's not about blame. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, exactly. no. When you mentioned sexual health there earlier on, you did say STIs and getting tested and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's an interesting one because it poses the question to you, are we improving in Ireland in terms of being on top of our sexual health and well-being? Because oftentimes it's not until I think people reach an issue or have maybe symptoms of an issue that then they go for testing. But I do know that in other countries it's common practice to go for testing. It's like, you know, walking up the steps to those mobile units and very regularly. I mean, from the time that kids start messing around, you're talking about chlamydia flying around. Chlamydia is so unhelpful for fallopian tubes. Fallopian tubes are probably one of my favourite organs in the body. They're fine, they're tiny, they're delicate, they're beautiful. And, you know, the effect of chlamydia is to make them sticky and adhere to the walls, adhere to each other. So that can have a major impact on fertility years down the line. So I think, you know, the sense of, and I know we're in strange times, but the health and the hygiene. And, you know, the, the momentous moment we're in this relationship, we're kind of going to be staying for a while. Uh, condoms are at the window. That's the time for, okay, right, we'll head down to the clinic, have our checks, uh, anything that needs to be mopped up can be easily treated and mm. then we're good to go and and repeats so that, you know, it is part of general health and well-being. In fact, you know, in, in countries like France, Spain, Hungary, you go to your GP, Portugal, you go to your GP and you get a full NCT every year. Mm. And in France, you actually even get a skin check from head to foot and you're advised about your skin care by a dermatologist. Yeah. We are very stingy on our testings. In Spain, you know, you have a quick urine test to see what's happening. I mean, that's the simplest thing ever. But bloods are done regularly to just see what's happening, see what the trends are. Because I think in Ireland, we believe that, you know, a blood test is a little bit like a Renoir on the wall. It's like, oh, yes, my that was this at that time. And it'll be that way forevermore. It's not. It's a quick selfie. It's, it's a snapshot. Mm. And I think we need to be more interesting purveyors and with better pricing structures that it's accessible as well. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a whole I mean, that's a whole other area, isn't it? The cost, cost of is phenomenal. fertility, testing, you know, everything else. It's um, huge. Professor Lord Robert Winston, who is a, an IVF pioneer in Hammersmith Hospital in London, he's now really old. He's, he's the uh, David Attenborough of fertility and as articulate uh, in his old age now, he believes that IVF should cost no more than 500 sterling. Okay. So. So what's going on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that may be a little bit on. I, w I would actually say, well, maybe a little bit more. But the pricing structures are an issue for accessibility as well. It's, yeah. It's difficult. It's a, such a huge stress on couples. And, you know, the sense of arriving, arriving at midlife with no savings or not having been able to 
do things that peers have been able to do or borrowing from parents or remortgaging. The financial burden is actually something that, you know, generally speaking, I find the guys are inclined to shoulder. You know, um, it's a bit like a Nando's menu in a clinic. And it's kind of like, well, if I don't have that, ooh, maybe I'm missing a trick. And, you know, if we're here, we ought to do everything. And the pricing is individual and it layers up and it layers up and it layers up. And again, in in this country, we're not very good at keeping track Mm. of our expenditure and auditing it and querying it and, you know, checking Mm. through. So that is where guys are very much the sense of the costing. How long do we go on for? How long can we go on for? They're really difficult questions. I want to come back to IVF, actually, um, because we know it works for some people wonderfully well. And there are many babies and kids and teenagers and, you know, now young adults or whatever who were IVF babies. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing when it works, but it's when it works. So I really want to get back to that. You did mention when you're talking about um, looking at male fertility, you mentioned DNA fragmentation, semen analysis. Can we talk through that for people who may be hearing about it for the first time? Because we hear about semen analysis. We don't hear as much about DNA fragmentation. What's the difference? What are the benefits of looking at both? I suppose one should always um, act as if um, a system, it's a bit like my school reports used to be, could do better, you know, get a grade. And it's like, you could have you could have done a little bit better that uh, I think the, you know, semen analysis looks at semen, what's in it, what the sperm are doing, how many of them are there, what shape they are what they're likely to do. Now, I can only tell you that when you actually look at the most normal, healthy specimen, you will see that there are a lot of malformed sperm swimming around in circles that aren't the healthiest in any sample from any young guy. So there are plenty of them. And the sense that uh, that is a snapshot and it's interesting and then you can delve deeper. That is where usually the testing stops and DNA fragmentation really just gives a little bit more of uh, genetic information and the risk of miscarriage, you know, the risk of anomalies happening. And it's an opportunity if it is identified or if it's in the lower end, the lower parameters to improve, to go into a pregnancy that is strong and healthy. So it's about front loading fertility. And that's really what my whole ethos is, Sheila, to empower people to look at what they can do, even starting with the tests that can be done at the GPs Mm. fairly simply and relatively cheaply, and to do as much as they can themselves before they need anything else. And I think we forget that even with IVF, you need a healthy egg, you need a healthy sperm or 10 or 40 or 5 million, whatever. So you need a healthy body, a healthy uterus for that little embryo to go into. So it's the longer term. And it's even in my perspective, my practice over the years is not just a pregnancy. This is not um, a limit. Uh, The sense of perhaps being ready then to have a second or a third child, Mm. to have fixed, sorted, optimized and, you know, got a different mindset on it and Mm. be, be part of the process. So we're having this chat. um, It's right at the end of September. And as you know, we're chatting about it all the time. I we are not trying yet for 
a baby. We have a little boy. He's three. We were pregnant again twice afterwards. Unfortunately, not meant to be. I had two miss miscarriages, both resulting in DNCs. And and I'm 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 just getting myself prepped. I'm in the prep zone. I've been in the prep zone for a while, but I'm still in the prep zone. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm safe in this little bubble of prep. But um, I suppose I need to to get my mind and my heart and my body in alignment before we brave it into the into the zone of of trying again. Um, and the reason I, I say that is purely that I want to talk about the prep side of things and how important it is to not just perhaps say, while it's it's great to be, let's go with the flow, let's just jump into it and brilliant, but why don't we look at what are we doing? Are we doing what we can to give ourselves the best possible chance? And I suppose it's that, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail scenario. Um, can you talk us through what the, the timeline, the best timeline is for prep and what we should the dreaded should be doing or what we can do to help ourselves. Again, it, it sounds incredibly mundane <laughs> when I talk about, you know, every bite you eat, eating really good food. OK, you do not recommend that pregnant women drink alcohol, but a salubrious glass of wine in a commodious manner, um, enjoying, you have to enjoy life. And, you know, in, in the kind of the normal sense of the word. Yes. And one of my clients, very sadly, actually, I thought, uh, we had a, a really interesting discussion on it and she said, the normals going out on a Saturday night, this was before you couldn't go anywhere. And it was kind of like, whoa, you know, the sense of a, a different breed. It's like, you just happen not to be pregnant yet. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget when her text came in. It's yet, yet, yet. Ah. <laughs> it was just absolutely lovely. So it is a little bit about the balance right. and it is enjoying things that you enjoy. It is really making sure that your relationship is very good. You're ready to bring a child into this family. So, you know, even the routines of going to bed at night, you know, ditching the screens, going to sleep, the sleep hygiene. I am seriously passionate about sleep and I've studied it intricately. And the housekeeping that's done while you're asleep, you're actually using the same amount of calories virtually as when you're awake. So you're busy. It's not mm. time wasted. Mm. And I'm afraid your grandmother's little adage, an hour before midnight is worth two after. And it's kind of like grandma really did get it right. Uh, because, you know, in the early stages of your night's sleep, a sleep cycle is 90 minutes. And in those sleep cycles, you get about five minutes of REM sleep, which is the lovely mental restorative focus, concentration, calmness and well-being. Your body is just prepping itself in case a hungry lion runs past your cave that you can just run or fight. It is in the latter hours of sleep, those sleep cycles, you get lots of REM, lots of dreams and your system gets to do really basic emotional housekeeping, which is so vital. So taking sleep rather than just getting it and, you know, moderation in foods, a, a wide base of foods, so we so hear seasonal foods. Yeah. And we hear a lot about dairy and how it when it comes to fertility, it may perhaps not be your best pal. It may not be your best pal if you're sensitive to it, if you have an issue with it. And I do believe it's actually worth getting that checked. So it's, so so you might be OK. You might be OK and you might thrive on full fat dairy. If you can do dairy, do the real deal Okay. for your insulin levels. The full fat is the business. And so look to your low fat it. and you're skim this and you're skim that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
That's interesting. Uh, but in terms of timeline, are we looking at, is it three months? Is it six months? Is it longer? Is it less? What is what is the ideal time frame for for implementing these healthy changes? If someone is carrying extra weight or their BMI is up a bit, I would really make a concerted effort to bring it down and keep it down and get the weight into very normal parameters. Fat is an active substance. It plays havoc with insulin levels. That is your hormonal orchestra. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, people who are carrying extra weight get pregnant beautifully. I have delivered many wonderful mothers and it's just the sense of covering bases if it's something you can do. And for people, I mean, quite a lot of my practice I guess my practice composes, comprises people who are, they've been around the block a time or two and they may have run into issues first time around or they may be trying for a second or a third child and that has been delayed. So changes since the first child has been born. You know, dad used to do soccer training and loved it, but ah, he hasn't done it for two or three years. So, you know, those kind of shifts, we're Mm. eating more takeout because we're really busy, as everybody is. So, you know, kind of streamlining and saying, okay, we're going to do, I would say, four to six months of making sure that we're in good shape, we're active, we're sleeping well, we're really in a good space. And, you know, we are lithe, we're limber, we're comfortable in our own skins and we're not unduly stressed we can manage the stresses we have Mm. so that is where i suppose the coaching side of my work comes in as opposed to the sort of therapy side even though there is an overlap with that and general sensible medical advice and all of that before we get to the egg in terms of sperm how quickly can we have a positive impact on on sperm? So if somebody has gone down the road of doing a semen analysis or perhaps a DNA fragmentation and the results are not looking as they would like, what can they do and how quickly can they potentially see a positive change? I suppose literally cleaning up the act across the basic pillars, supplementing with a Rolls Royce type supplement and you know, all of those shifts and changes will bear fruit quite literally within, you know, 72, 75 days. And again, a little bit more time for it to really kick in. Right. I mean, that's not that much time, really. You know, when you think about it. Yeah. Okay. And it is about, you know, layering it up that, I mean, I am a quick change artist. I like to see shifts and changes happening very quickly. And that's why I use hypnosis to deliver a psychotherapy. So it's it's speedy. It's not a long drawn out thing. And even with with eggs, the same thing that you can you have your eggs. Uh, they need to be matured a bit like Cuisine de France. You know, those baguettes that are <laughs> popped put in. in the oven and, you know, absolutely gorgeous. But the, the same principle applies. The follicle ripens, preens, pampers that egg into full maturation. And I mean, again, you're talking about a very short time frame. So within a few months, you can do a huge amount. But I would really say a three month minimum. Mm. Because you need to develop habits Mm -hmm. and you're getting ready to be a family and you want your child to grow up very healthy, very well, very strong and, you know, to have a good life. So you're kind of setting those uh, habits and scenarios. Mm. Can we talk about the origins of the egg? 
in terms of the fact that our eggs are formed, produced, made at a very early stage when you're in your mama's womb. Yes. Um, which is truly fascinating. So I'd love to talk about that. The, the ovum is uh, incredibly special and it, uh, you know, you're seeded from your mother's ovaries. And there's a there's a lot of there's much more toing and froing up the um, umbilical cord than you imagine. Um, we were always think it was just one way. The placenta is a vital organ and that uh, allows that transport of nutrients to the developing fetus and the seeding of the eggs. And I suppose, you know, um, we kind of feel we have so many to begin with and they decay over time. But there's always, you know, a few really good ones there. And it's about getting those ones matured and ripened fully and properly, having the right milieu for them, having the right levels of the right hormones at the right time and supporting that by making sure a woman is minded, looked after, fed, slept, exercised, loved, that everything is in place for her ovaries to do that. Um, you know, the ovaries are very important in converting uh, testosterones into estrogens. And that is what happens in, you know, older ladies reaching the menopause. The fat tissue produces um, aromatase is, is an enzyme that produces the uh, necessary uh, female hormones when the ovaries actually stop. So, you know, fat can be very useful at that stage. And women in menopause do gain a little extra weight, which is very useful. But the sense that, um, you know, minding eggs and minding ovaries and keeping keeping ovaries in the loop. If a woman is feeling safe and there are no perceived threats, and mm. as you know, you know, with sort of adrenaline and cortisol, if there is, a, it doesn't need to be a real danger, but slightly being bullied at work, overworked, underappreciated, a stressful relationship, you know, all of those things that we all encounter can have a low grade definite impact on stress levels and people who are and probably dealing with it really, really well, uh, easing that, reducing it, managing it a little bit better. The ovaries come back into the loop. Do you remember I was saying, you know, you do not ovulate when you're running away from a hungry lion. Yeah. Um, so bringing the ovaries back into the loop that they are doing what they need to do and that each month you are ripening an egg to full maturity, one egg each side, usually alternate sides, right side being dominant, occasionally two from, um, you know, and that's sort of fraternal twins. Um, and being aware, I think, of your underlying health. If there is a family history of polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis, if someone has had painful periods, every woman should know her cycle quite intimately. You know, Maya Angelou's poem, Every woman should have a lacy oh, black I love bra that poem. and a uh, cordless drill. drill. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> that is such a brilliant poem, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, I, yeah. I really feel and and every woman should know her cycle. Yeah. Now it's not about being OCD. No, but but how many of us really know our cycle? It, it, you wouldn't believe it. Really tells so yeah. much. You're talking about when did it begin in the first place? What was it like after it began? Right. You know, were you 12 and a half, 13 and a half, 15 and a half? What was going on for you? 
what was your birth? How did your mother find pregnancies? Did she have any issues? Then the sense of how long does your cycle last? How long is your actual bleed? What is What are the characters of it? So is it true that your own mother is probably the best point of contact. Obviously, you know, it's not the situation for everybody. Not, not everybody has their mother or may be adopted or whatever their own situation is. But is your own biological mother the best, uh, I suppose, indicator? Indicator, yes. And that's true. And your grandmother. OK. Hugely important. Mm. Um, so going back and just knowing your family history. Right. Um, you know, the art of taking a good history is still unsurpassed mm. in getting detail of where somebody's coming from and what the patterning is like. So once you know what your cycle is like um, and to know the signs of ovulation, and now we've got, you know, peon sticks, which give a very good indicator that ovulation has happened. Um, and if there is any pain associated with periods, you know, again, it is every single day. And I, I'm just drawn to a conversation I had with somebody yesterday. Mm. And, you know, she very sweetly said to me, well, yes, I, I would be a bit, yeah, I, I'd have a little bit of pain. And it's, it's kind of like, oh, yes. And how long does it last? And do you take anything for it? Would a Panadol do it? Oh, no, no, no. I'd need Nurofen. I would be taking Nurofen for two days and then I'm fine. Mm. And the bravery of that. In fact, as a midwife, I used to love delivering women who'd suffered with endometriosis because they were going, huh? You call this pain, do you? <laughs> right. Um, really? So really, women are so stoic. It is actually untrue. The pain of that can be equal to that of myocardial infarction, of heart attack. It's a very, very serious type of pain. Really? And there are various levels. And, you know, with endometriosis, it is a very complex disease. Uh, very under-researched. Can you talk about what it is, actually? It is a tissue that is very, very similar to the lining of the uterus. But now studies show it is not perhaps exactly the same. We used to believe it was a leakage of tissue. You know, we were always advised, don't do cartwheels or handstands because you might misplace some of your endometrium and cause issues. And it is not necessarily the case. We have in Ireland the experts on it, the Endometriosis Society of Ireland, Kathleen King. She does papers with uh, ESHRA, the mm -hmm. European Society for Human Reproduction and Embryology. She is a powerhouse of information. I learn a lot from her. But endometriosis means that you have tissue that is doing the same thing each month as the uterine lining is doing. So it's swelling and bleeding into areas of the abdomen. It could be on the outside of ovaries. It could be on the outside of uterus. It can be on the outside of fallopian tubes. It can be around the gut. It can even be around the lungs. It is incredibly debilitating. It is classed in four stages and it really is diagnosed by, you know, clinical symptoms and by going in and looking and seeing. And the treatment is excision. It is a surgical treatment. So it is an operation, keyhole surgery, admittedly, but it is still an operation and that has relatively good results for people being able to conceive and carry babies. And, you know, sometimes there may appear to be only very little when someone has had massive symptoms or there can be a huge amount found and somebody may have had really very slight symptoms. So it's it's a very 
dynamic disease. Right. And it is one that we really must be aware of if there is pain. It is normally, they say, about seven to ten years to get a diagnosis of it. Okay. So that is a long pathway. Very long. So, you know, so all of the parameters, what is the flow like? What is the length? Heavy days, light days. Is there spotting? Why does it happen? Why does endometriosis happen? Mm. We don't know. We don't know. Right. Um, there is a question. Is it hereditary? Mm-hmm. We just simply don't know. Again, so many more studies are needed, Sheila. Yeah. And, you know, getting the funding for these. But across the world, millions of women suffer. Yeah. And then like a lot of things, I suppose there is an element of of, uh, of not speaking about it, of secrecy, of the, the vulnerability we feel and the reluctance to maybe speak openly about something that's bothering us, particularly when it comes to the reproductive system. And you see, um, I will ask and discuss how did you find out about where babies come from? What was all of that like? And still I'm hearing, you know, well, there was the talk at school. There was a book. We didn't talk much about it at home. We just got on with it. Mm. And now some families are wonderfully open. And I, I applaud that. I'm so delighted to hear that. But the sense of realizing pain is not normal. Yeah. There can be heavy feelings. There may be a little bit of cramping of the actual uterus. But pain is an indicator. Something is off. Something is wrong. Yeah. And people do not make it up. They do not malinger with it. Um, and I think guys have not been so terribly aware of it either. So the sense your period is a vital indicator. And, you know, if you have issues that are perhaps more hormonally based, you know, facial hair, acne, uh, swelling and bloating, weight gain. Um, that can be an indicator of something along the lines of a metabolic disease that is polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. Mm. And again, with medication, that is manageable. But it's it's knowing your body and knowing what is normal. So that is why the, the sex edge for adults, I think, is very, very important. That's no, And again, it's such a vital message that pain isn't isn't normal. And, and, you know, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to live with it. You can do something to help and investigate. OK, um, back to the egg. We hear a lot about AMH levels. And I want you to explain, please, about AMH. It's a test I've had done quite a few times myself. <laughs> Just for the crack, I said I'd get it done. And I have had wildly different AMH levels. They've been a bit on the low side and then much higher and then a bit middle ground and then a bit up again and then a bit down. And I think I've had it done about five times, five or six times. Different every time. Yeah, well done you. And but, you've but already spotted I, the pattern. Yeah, yeah. so... That there's no pattern, it, it, and it, I was, it fluctuates. That's right. And the first time I had it done, I was told, oh yeah, well, it'll only ever go down from here. And I've obviously had it done a number of times and it's been different every time, which I'm fascinated to hear your expert view on. So first up, can you explain what is it? What does it stand for AMH? Anti-malarian hormone, I suppose, really in the sense of in a nutshell, it is a very useful indicator for how someone may fare with IVF. Mm -hmm. And it has been used as a coat rack on which to sort of point blame at women. Your AMH is low, so what can we do? I would say that, uh, and actually it was a client of mine who runs a very busy GP practice 
And I was discussing this with her and saying, you do know it can change. And she was like, don't be ridiculous. So she went back to her practice mm. and she did studies on 25 women. Mm. And she found that women who might have just had their second child, you know, perfectly normal, lovely scenarios had rock bottom AMHs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the variation was so significant and she was so open, so generous, so fascinated by this that she hadn't known that it is a variable. So I really would say to people that, again, your general health and getting, I suppose, getting, you know, the sense of what is the value? What should my value be? So it's meant to be an indicator of the amount of eggs you have left. Yes, yes. So, uh, but because it obviously, in my case... In every case. In every case, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're not, not that unusual. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That it can fluctuate means that we can do stuff perhaps yeah. to boost it again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, all of these, these are parameters that have been set at various stages. And a little bit like, you know, the semen analysis, the World Health Organization set that. They changed the parameters about 14 years ago mm. and they're more inclusive so it's kind of like, ah, you're all grand. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not the quality of the egg. It's it's apparently just looking at the, just the amount. Just looking at the amount. Mm-hmm. So what you want is that Fabergé egg. And you want that Fabergé to get polished up. And it's like, hello, I'm on. So I really do keep it very, very simple. I generally do not get into the specifics of actual parameters and measurements. It is fascinating. I have studied it in my dim distant past. But really, these can shift so beautifully for each individual that getting hung up on that is another stress or Mm -hmm. they are indicators Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like okay so that's looking good that's really what you need saying oh yeah that's improving nicely that's coming into line and it's all about a balance between a lot of hormones it is not just you know estrogen and progesterone Yeah. You know, we there's so many we don't even talk about. Well, the big ones, I suppose, we always hear about and it's something I'm aware of because I don't actually have a thyroid gland is your thyroid function and how important it is to have that right, particularly when it comes to trying for a baby, conceiving, staying pregnant, all that kind of stuff. So I get my bloods taken a lot because, as you know, I'm I'm kind of weirdly (laughs) into it. But also um, I I want my my levels to be right, um, you know, for a time that when we do start trying that, at least I know it's in the right zone. Uh, for a lot of women, maybe they've never really looked at having to test their thyroid function because they might never have had an issue with it or, or saw a purpose behind it. But it's one of the bloods that are important to include in, in testing, isn't it? In testing and also, you know, to get T3 and T4, to get, you know, the, the full spectrum, because sometimes it's like, just do a sort of a, a, like a Carlsberg light, you know, just do a little sort of, ah, that's fairly OK. When you're getting these done, you need to get the full assay done. Yeah, the TSH, the T4, the T3. Yeah, all full, you know, th- the power of three. Get yeah. everything done and know what they are. And then a repeat. And I think a repeat is the secret to see what has shifted, what has changed it, what's it looking like? Because again, oftentimes, if perhaps your thyroid function is not is not functioning at the level that is required during pregnancy, it can be assisted with a small amount of supplementation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I simply take a tablet every morning because that's the gig for the rest of my days and I'm cool with it because it keeps me here and healthy and alive and I'm very thankful for science. But you may be one of those people that could do with an extra little 
little bit of help. A little bit of help. And that's the, you know, it's called titrating to get the right dose that suits you perfectly Mm. and keeps everything in balance for you. And again, everybody's different. And that is the joy of really good pharmacology. It's kind of saying, well, you know, what does this person actually need at this moment? So if we're eating the right stuff and we're not going wild on on the booze or whatever it is or the, you know, unless, you know, if we're one of the people that we shouldn't really necessarily be drinking vats of milk and we're doing the right stuff. Supplementation, you mentioned it already about, you know, investing perhaps in really good quality stuff. There's a lot on the market. It can feel overwhelming. Sometimes people just pick up the first thing they see are oftentimes you know, you're told as long as you're you're taking your folic acid or your folate and your vitamin D you, and, and you're eating a good diet, you're probably OK. What are, What is your expert opinion on this? Compared to the food our grandparents were eating, the soils are quite depleted. OK. Food has travelled a long way. It's sitting under lights. Uh, we probably don't get the same amount of nutrients as our grandparents would have got. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there is actually a return. We were talking earlier about seaweed, about using seaweed as a fertilizer again, which I think is really exciting stuff. Yeah. And it's recycling from the sea, you might think. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I suppose that we realistically do need to supplement much as I hate the idea. You know, we should be able to get it from our diet, eating far more seafood. We're an island nation mm. and we have such a low uptake of fish. And, you know, it is fabulous. It is wonderful. It is delicious. Unbelievably good for women and men. So, you know, your Amiga oils, all, your, the rest. Uh, all of those. Mm. It is just it is fantastic and easily digestible. If you are not a meat fan, uh, supplementing with your B12 is very, very important. And, you know, being being savvy. And I think most people who go down that route actually are experts on, you know, eating a broad based plant based diet, which is a wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the holy grail of fertility diets, there is none, but uh, perhaps a slightly Mediterranean flavor. But whatever diet you're following, whatever you're into, to make it as as broad as possible and mm. as seasonal and to do the supplementation judiciously, uh, I really feel that sometimes, you know, uh, without casting cistercians or anything. But, you know, if you're spending money on supplements to make sure they're kind of like the best you can afford, you can buy, you know, prettily colored ones in supermarkets. And they're here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kind of coated, you know, lots of them made in China and pretty packaging. And it's kind of like, do you know what? You're not really getting an awful lot for your buck. So I like ones that are well researched, that are ethically produced, that are designed specifically to address common deficiencies and that are a really broad base of the micronutrients people don't even know about mm. and you see a lot of these work synergistically I mean I suppose the basic one is if you're taking iron well you need to take vitamin C to have it absorbed in your body so an awful lot of these things work slightly symbiotically and you know um, I am a big fan of uh, the strangely named my fertility box uh, because it's so perfectly balanced so impeccably researched and a fascinating product and you know it, it's it's made here in Ireland which I think is is very special and you know it, it's doing extremely well um, and then there's uh, Proceive which is a lovely product and that's very easily available as well and I always think that's a beautiful one when you're getting ready to conceive and you want to do it right and you'll cover your basis with the folic acid and we would kind of prefer the slightly more natural folate. Mm. And I suppose, you know, there's been villains of the peace in a dietary world, you know, for many, many years, as you know, eggs were the worst thing in the world, eating hen's eggs. You know, they, they call, caused cholesterol, they caused heart attacks. And then Edwina Curry in the UK, salmonella is like, whoa, we didn't go near eggs for a long time. And in fact, they're the most amazing powerhouses of nutrients lovely broad base so if you can tolerate them and not everyone can mm. you know simple foods are very valuable in concert with judicious supplementing and more clinics are advising specific supplements now which is great yeah so we are four to six months of prep we are you know getting enough sleep we're eating the right stuff um, we are taking good supplements if we need them and you know, we are up to date with bloods and tests and different things like for women, smear tests, important, all of that kind of stuff. So looking at yourself as an individual and asking yourself, am I, uh, do I, am I in tune with my body? Are there any issues that I need to, to fix? And if you're, you're feeling like you're in a good place and himself is in a good place, you are now at the point of, of trying. Before we get into that, a woman's cycle, what does what does the dream scenario look like? Because I know we're all individual, we're all unique. Some women have set days to their cycle. Some women have irregular cycles. Um, so what would what would, what are we looking for? We're looking for multiple orgasms. <laughs> we are looking for <laughs> fabulous sex. OK, absolutely fun, playful, erotic, lunatic quickies on the stairs you name it <laughs> we are looking for raw real sex I love it I asked so you about satisfying. I asked you about the cycle and you went straight in boom this is the stuff that matters so you so basically what you're telling me is you can get in tune with the cycle all you want but if you're not having the all-important sex good luck to it all absolutely okay human beings you know are actually relatively subfertile 
Right. We are not. Are we? Apart from, you know, I mean, you know, in spite of what the nuns told us, <laughs> that if we looked at a bloke, we'd be, you know, incredibly pregnant and disgraced for the rest of our lives. It's not the case. You only actually really have about a 21% chance each month naturally. That's people under the age of 30 who are at it like rabbits. Right. And as you know, that in the most beautiful, perfect relationship, that over time, and we used to call it the pennies in the jar, that kind of by the time, like about two years, maybe two and a half years have gone by. Well, do you know what? It's not as completely energetically free and frequent as it was. Now, I know some people will swear blind that, you know, they just can't keep their hands <laughs> off each other. Happy days, nights and everything else. But the sense that we, um, you know, IVF will give you maybe a 22, 23 percent chance one off. If you're doing it naturally, you have... 13 cycles in a year, which uh-huh. is, you know, if you're doing the odds and you know, the stats, it's kind of really good. But the sex angle is not. That's interesting, though. Right. So that's it. When we look at IVF, it is just one cycle. I actually totally want to get back to the sex. It's very important. <laughs> let's be honest. But um, with IVF, you're looking at the one cycle. And so 20, 21 percent naturally, 23 percent IVF. But with IVF, you do one cycle at a time and you can't do you, you can't do, do it every you month. You do one cycle and you have a much higher risk of miscarriage. So, you know, you can get the pregnancy stats and then it's like live birth rates. So, you know, um, you know what, we'll get back to it. Really, what I'd like to get out there Mm -hmm. is that baby making sex is no different to any other kind of sex. Okay, and is that something that you experience with 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 your the couples that you deal with that does it get a bit um, pedestrian when it comes to trying for a family? It changes because right. the difference, you know, uh, when you can uh, abandon the pill or whatever else you're using and the sense of free range sex is incredible. It's exciting. It's it's amazing. It's liberating. And then, you know, when you're dealing with fertility issues, it's two week windows. It's coming up to ovulation. Mm. It's coming up to a period. So, the you know, the horizon is in here and it becomes extraordinarily miserably stressful if pregnancy isn't happening. So the sense of maybe it's this month, maybe it's this month and the amount of pressure, come on, come on, let's do it, let's do it. Let's and you've already spoken about the impact of stress on, on the body that sometimes it can prevent ovulation even happening. Yes, if you get that stress, it can be part of the, the whole So it's a vicious picture. circle, really. It really is. And I think, you know, with sex, trying to And that is part of my brief in looking after people. And as you know, I see people as individuals. I don't see, you know, couples together. Mm. For starters, I just love one on one. And, you know, it is easier. And sometimes, you know, guys might just have one, two or three or four or five. Erectile dysfunction is a feature of temporary erectile dysfunction is a feature of fertility issues. It's not surprising because it's kind of like there's actually... um, a documentary film coming out in the UK and it's called Just One Thing. And I can imagine it in a real sort of nuns wagging a finger. You have just one thing to do, just one thing to do once a month and just you can't even do that. So, you know, that sense of pressure. Mm. And I know my sense of humour is very facetious and it is serious. It's very heartbreaking when sex suddenly turns into something that is a posted on the fridge. This is our fertile window. We have to do it. You know, the general advice is having it, doing the deed, as it's called, having sex every other day for five days before ovulation. Because, of course, on the day of ovulation, the egg appears with a wonderful blinding cascade of fabulous hormones. 
and is wafted up through the fimbria up into the fallopian tube and ideally you have sperm sitting waiting there ready for fertilization and at the moment of fertilization the most amazing thing happens there's a release of energy and there's actually a light it's like literally lights do go off it is amazing i mean literally goosebump time so the feeling that um you know having sex is important having good sex is great it is not necessary to have an orgasm to conceive for a woman obviously with guys you know you do want to get a really good ejaculate you want to get those sperm hoisted on their way but the sense that sperm will already have been stored and primed and primed for four or five days beforehand mm. and the the acrosome the head is softened uh, it's capacitated it get it's ready for fertilization so it is worth building up a store of sperm now then again somebody can get pregnant having sex standing up a two minute quickie <laughs> you know so it is there are many different ways and that is something i love you know it's it's the absolute magic randomness of it this you know uniqueness of it all and it's important to keep that sense of play and fun and enjoyment because my god when you when you bring in a timeline or okay today's the day it's 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 the most unsexy or like it's the biggest turn off. It's the biggest actually. turn off. And, you know, the feeling of doing it for this baby. I bring people back to the idea of why did you get together? Yeah. Well, you know, the sense if you got together, because, of course, you know, you shared deep, meaningful values about the health of the planet <laughs> and you couldn't keep your hands off each other. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. balance and the yeah. sense of play. Yes. You know, in Stanford, they're now teaching humour as part of business studies. Mm. And it is vital, that sense of fun, laughter, play, letting go, abandonment, being childlike. And that sets off, and I always have an ulterior motive, <laughs> that is helping people get pregnant. Um, so the sense that uh, by having this closeness, this connection, you are getting vats of oxytocin to tap into. Yeah. That is a closeness. That is a feeling of safety. Yes. And the feeling of safety allows those ovaries to be back in that loop. It allows mm. spermatogenesis to be happening well. It sets the scene. So non-threatening, playful fun. It can be anything it wants to be. You can do anything you like. You can wear anything you like, but please not scratchy, crotchless knickers. <laughs> Get some lovely lingerie, make it fun, make it recreational. You sound you know, like a woman who's who, who knows the sensation. Oh. You know, Valentine's Day, my husband brought me kind of neon red crotchless <laughs> knickers from, you know, a high street. It's like, oh, here, that's, you know, not not the right thing Never. at all. Never. I love it. Uh, no, this, but I do think that uh, keeping sex as a physical function that happens regularly, reliably, mm. happily and beautifully and the emotional collection that goes with it. The benefits are huge. Yes. I mean, people are having regular sex, regular good sex. By the time they hit their mid 40s, their skin and eyes and hair will tell a tale <laughs> as well as a smile on their face that looking younger than their peers keeping their system alive and tuned in. And that is a huge part of 
what I work with in the whole overall scenario. It's dispelling a lot of myths, Sheila. Yeah. And, you know, the perceptions of nice girls don't get pregnant, uh, you know, for teen years that, you know, we're taught. It's like, OK, you're getting your periods. Here are your pads. Hide them away. Don't mention the war and be careful of guys type of thing and don't mm. get pregnant. So it is really allowing people this feeling of permission to be a woman, yes. to enjoy sex, to enjoy physical functioning, to enjoy that connection and to seek. I mean, orgasms are useful. They weren't specifically given for an individual's pleasure. They perform a really vital function because it's a workout for the vaginal muscles, for the uterus itself, for the, you know, the sense of those contractions allow the uh surface the muscles to be fit for starter and also the um, surface the, the slightly moist surface to have the right number of white cells so you get a lovely movement going on it's wonderful for the fallopian tubes because they are very flexible yeah. so all of that serves a purpose of maintenance that's i love that i haven't heard that before but now when you say it, it i suppose it makes sense i love when you said safety when it comes to sex i think that's really important because I think once you are feeling safe and secure, first and foremost in yourself and then in your relationship, huge freedom comes with that, as in you are free to be vulnerable and show yourself and what you would like, what you dislike to be, to be empowered. To be empowered and to also, I think, you know, sexual relationship doesn't stop at you know, the end of the honeymoon period or, you know, going into the baby making mode or we've had the kids. It changes, shifts and grows. It's it's another part of development. Yeah. So it is about exploring and, you know, doing it together. Yes. And, you know, when, when I talk to guys, it's kind of like, well, it used to be great. And then it sort of tailed off and it's kind of fairly perfunctory and we do the set routine. It's like having the same menu for years on end and it's like do you know what you need to have uh, a dish of the day and you need to have the a la carte <laughs> and you need to get on that car I love how and you roll speak. with it <laughs> I just love it because I suppose the truth is we ain't getting younger and our bodies are beautiful wonderful things so they're there to be enjoyed uh, as well as serving many brilliant functions on a daily basis but why not have fun while we can because I would imagine in X amount of years away into the future, hopefully we'll all be old and grey, that it may get a bit trickier to do the things that we like to do or want to try to do. Do you know, without me saying it, various different things that pop into what my mind. What do you mind. mean by that, know, yeah. Sheila? Go on. <laughs> do you mind explaining that, But, Sheila? you know, if anyone is holding themselves back, why not make yourself vulnerable with your partner and say, do you know what, I'd love to try this. Why would we just give this a go or whatever? Or why not? And that's a really good point. You know, there was a survey done. I didn't expect this to turn into a sex podcast, but there we go. Why not? Well, you know, it is really part. It's kind of a key part of it, this whole you know, getting pregnant and I, crack. I actually, you know, the sense of we, we're inclined to pathologize it and say, you know, go to the clinic, I'll have my IVF and that's it. And it's kind of like, well, actually, sex is important yeah. for your health, your well-being, for the actual place where this baby is going to live, grow and develop. And a survey in the UK many years ago uh, was asking people over the age of 75 their biggest regrets in life. And you'd imagine, well, you know, I didn't raise a vast amount of money for charity and I really could have. And I should have, you know, taken up 
watercolours. No, their biggest regret was they didn't have enough great sex when they could have. Right, there you go. And I thought, yes, isn't that wonderfully honest? Yeah. Oh, and also sad. A little bit sad. Really? A little bit sad. You know, so why live with regrets? So lads and lassies, (laughs) whoever's listening, you know, speak up. And that just probably a lot of that comes from inner confidence too. Confidence. The better you feel about yourself, yeah. the more inclined you'd probably be to voice your own desire. It's about communication. And yeah. um, this is, you know, the the essence of a relationship of becoming parents and wanting your children to grow up in that environment where parents are physical and loving and that, you know, life is savoured and enjoyed in all aspects. And the other thing, you know, is I think... Um, the question of age for women, you know, the big, huge marker of 40. We didn't even talk about it. And it's such an obvious one because I'm 41. The doom and gloom the of doom and gloom. Dum, dum, dum. 39. I am my birthdays. My heart actually really goes out to people because it's like, you know, the Kirsty Olstop quote of, you know, fertility falling off a, a cliff. cliff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not like that at an individual level. And, you know, I am so delighted with, you know, my girls, you know, babies at 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, perfectly gorgeous, beautiful, healthy babies, often first time round. So, you know, it it really is. I would love people to begin to recognise that, do you know what, compared to grandmothers, great grandmothers, our nutrition has improved. We're fitter, we're healthier. You know, our bodies are in great condition and that fertility is something that keeps going until menopause. Mm. And as I always say, the longest 10 years of a woman's life has traditionally been 29 to 30 because no woman ever told her age Mm -hmm. and nobody knew how old a woman was. Whereas nowadays we do. And it's kind of the quirk of the eyebrow and the head tilt. And that is so tough, so unfair. And not accurate. I do think a little care, a little bit more focus and also bearing the age of her partner in mind. Yeah, because it, I mean, I felt it and I, I, I'm very comfortable with my age. Um, you know, it is what it is. And I've never had an issue saying it out loud. But when it comes to fertility and conversations I've had and even in the making of the documentary um, on miscarriage, conversations I've had through that, like it's it's been pointed out to me that, you know, in terms of my fertility and what it means, it it is very doom and gloom. Let's be honest, it is. It's it's it can it's be and not obviously what you're saying, which is wonderful. I think it's far, far too bleak. And I think um, I'm very much into an integrative way of looking at fertility. It's like, what can we do? What can we bring to bear on it? What is most useful at this time for these people? Um, and, you know, the sense of rather than doing a complete deep dive, an all or nothing approach, it's like layering it up from solid foundations and doing it quickly. Mm. And, you know, the idea that uh, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to have IVF, donor egg, donor sperm or have a surrogate. I think that you can layer up to that. They are fantastic options and I said, I mean, I was in at the beginning of it all, incredible leaps forward. So, you know, to to realise that there's so much to draw on. So let's stay with IVF because I've not that I've been avoiding it till now, but I kind of wanted to chat about other stuff before we got to it, because 
again, I know this can be massively emotive for people. And a lot of people are very interested in hearing more about IVF. Some people who've been on the path, who've tried it, some people who are wondering, is it for them? Perhaps they've been trying for some time and and, uh, they feel like this is the next natural step. And the idea of IVF can seem it's it's very alluring, it can be very seductive, um, you know, that and, and I suppose maybe is it is a part of the human condition that you think you are one of the lucky ones that it'll work for you? Absolutely. Um, it's a cognitive bias. And in fact, blokes are more susceptible to that. Interesting. We're going to be part It'll work for us. It'll work for us first time. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, okay. it is. Studies, All very right. recent studies have shown that. OK, so it is uh, it's a wonderful adjunct. It's a wonderful option. It was designed originally for people with blocked fallopian tubes. It's used quite a lot for uh, male sperm issues where there are no sperm. Um, and that's, you know, the picture you see of the injection of the uh, sperm into the egg. That's ICSI. That's a further refinement. Um, you know, the success rate hasn't changed a lot over the last 42 years since okay. the wonderful. She's just the loveliest person. Louise Brown was born. Um, so there's been a lot of shifts and changes and a lot of trial and error. It is still experimental in that way that trying to make it better. Um, so it is something that you need to be prepared for. You need to be fit and healthy going into it. You need your mindset to be in a nice, balanced place. You need anxiety and, you know, depression levels to be reduced. Because I know, uh, like, I haven't done IVF. It, it hasn't been something that, that I that I have personal experience of, but I certainly know a lot of people who have gone through it, some with success, some with not. But with, with everybody, I safely say, that has been through it, I've seen the psychological impact it's had on them, the emotional toil. It's bloody tough going and I am I have so much admiration for anyone and everyone that decides bravely to go down that path but it's not one to just be taken lightly it's you know the sense of um, it needs to be prepared for it needs to be fully necessary it needs to be the best option yeah and not just a sense of we'll go and do that because the devastation when it fails is far greater than you'd imagine mm-hmm. and that is heartbreaking to see that disappointment, that failure. And of course, you know, the, the reflecting that failure aboard, taking it on and blaming ourselves. Um, and it is expensive. It is quite an outlay. And, you know, the I suppose most recent thinking on it would be that four to six sessions are required. So that is that's the average. That's the average. That's now and it can you- work for people and it's fantastic and I love because a lot of my clients have IVF sure either they were having it here or abroad uh, with great results because doing the prep going into it with an incredible mindset um, and you know there's a very high risk of miscarriage so as well as the failure rate miscarriage is something that is rarely spoken about in terms of IVF and that is incredibly devastating Julia I mean it's just It's nearly beyond, you know, the grief beyond often people won't know that they've been through this journey, that they've had to use IVF. The meds are heavy. Um, You know, you are ovulating a year's worth of eggs in one month, in one cycle. So it's a heavy toll. So you're reducing your overall fertility by using it. 
And as Professor Robert Winston said, you know, for people who don't have a definite issue, a mechanical issue that requires IVF, it is easy for a, easier for a 38-year-old woman to conceive in bed or on her hearth rug. And, you yeah. know, it, it, there was a lot of truth in that statement, and he's a major proponent of IVF. So used judiciously, prepared for, and with a realistic expectation of what the outcome can be. Uh, you know, without doom and gloom, but the sense that, you know, um, where the odds are stacked. Mm. And rather than jumping straight from we've been trying for X amount of months and it hasn't worked, now we're going to do IVF. There are other ways and other approaches that you can certainly look into um, that wouldn't necessarily be as invasive. Exactly. I mean, there are medical approaches that are restorative. So it is looking at the pro- your profile, you know, what's going on? What are the hormones doing? What's your cycle like? How can we help it? How can we improve it? What would make a difference? Um, and, you know, I feed into that with lifestyle changes, perhaps a little weight management, improving the sex life, the mindset, reducing anxiety. All of those quality aspects mm. can make a huge difference. So it can be you can have uh, great success naturally with a medical approach as well. So you're getting the best of both worlds, I always feel. Do you want to mention any place in particular, any places that you might recommend that people look into? We're very lucky here because, you know, we have uh, in Dublin, we have uh, a little clinic and it's uh, fully Irish as well, which I think is rather good because a lot of our clinics now are owned by uh, consortiums from abroad. We have neo-fertility and the doctors there are highly skilled in helping women, couples who are over 35, who may have had recurrent pregnancy loss, miscarriage, you know, um, difficulties, issues, and taking the time to do a full assay of what's going on and then, you know, supplementing where is required, adding in medications that are individually titrated on a monthly basis, tracking the follicles, doing the bloods. It's metronomic and it can seem to take a little bit of time but it's doing the groundwork and, you know, the sense of get those foundations right. And then not just having this pregnancy, but ready for another pregnancy. Yeah. You know, just having the, it's, a, it's it is a restoration program. Hmm. So any any links, we'll include them in the show notes as well. So we're going to go to the questions that were sent in on Instagram. And again, huge variety, but then a lot of similar, I suppose, issues or questions that were cropping up. Everything from, you know, the grief that comes with fertility and when it works or doesn't work to, you know, what can I do to help myself and everything else in between. So the first one here that's jumping out is I've been told by our IVF clinic that donor egg is our next step as our IVF cycle didn't work and my AMH levels are low. Does your guest recommend this? It's uh, obviously a very personal decision and I know that time is often of the essence and it's so sad when IVF has failed. It's so disappointing. And I think sometimes the urge is to move swiftly on. It's like, what's the next thing to do? Now, this person doesn't say their age profile. And, you know, sometimes 
it's good to get more information and get a second opinion and find out, you know, because with donor egg, there is, you know, the sense that it is a wonderful way to have a child, a beautiful child. And then it can happen that you can quite spontaneously then become pregnant again, naturally yourself. And there is sometimes the, you know, sense of, gosh, did we need it in the first place? And we haven't told parents, what if this child does a DNA one, two, three at the age of 14? You know, do we tell the first child? You know, so there's a lot of things to discuss that we haven't really got around to yet um, in this country about the kind of bioethics and stuff about, you know, how we integrate it into our society and get comfortable with it all. And the sense that, you know, if it is actually the only way, but I would always kind of consider a second opinion, wouldn't you, Sheila? Mm, Yeah. And oftentimes I've heard that donor egg is suggested when you reach a certain age or again, as this person mentioned, as their AMH levels are at a particular level, it's like, you know, and it's the seduction of this younger as you, you know, as you spoke about the Fabergé egg, the perfect egg, you know. And also the sense that there are risks with donor egg pregnancies that okay. are discounted. You know, the it is a it can be a more difficult pregnancy because you've two different DNAs. You don't have your own as you would normally with your own child. So it can be a more complicated pregnancy. So okay. that can put more restraint on the system as well. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a lot to think about there. And certainly, I suppose all I do is research based. And, you know, um, I have spent quite a lot of time actually exploring the whole donor egg. And it's a great option when it is the right option. Two questions here on the pill. If you take the pill for 10 years or longer, does it affect fertility? Another one is I've been on the pill for nearly 18 years and I'm now worried that I've damaged my fertility. So quite similar questions. Yes, indeed. And it's a very, very, very common concern. So what I'd say there is that, you know, it doesn't. You are in a slightly, it is a full sense of pregnancy. The bleed that you have is not a real period. It's it's just a breakthrough bleed. It was actually left there. Because, you know, the powers that be thought it was good for women to have something resembling a period. You could have just spooled on. Uh, so, no, generally speaking, not. I actually only heard that recently myself. Yeah, a, a really recent study has come out. It's like, you know, do you know something? You could just keep it going all the time. There was no need to have any type of bleeding. Um, but yes, uh, it it really doesn't seem to in the slightest. I would consider that, you know, to make sure that you are tracking ovulation, that your periods are back to normal, that they are regular as clockwork and doing anything that's needed to get that cycle literally back on track. Mm. I've had to have one of my fallopian tubes removed due to an ectopic pregnancy and I'm now worried that I may not have a baby now. What can I do to boost my chances? I think as we were discussing, uh, it is important to cover all the bases of general health and well-being and, you know, maximizing the fertile window, having, Mm. you know, again, the the sexual aspect is important to be having plenty of good sex around that time. Uh, It, you know, it depends, you know, sometimes we have a more dominant side. So, you know, if the right hand side is inclined to be more dominant in many people, uh, so it depends which fallopian tube has been removed. But generally speaking, um, you know, ovaries fire every second month, perhaps. So there is still 
very good chances of natural conception, but making sure that everything is absolutely firmly in place. And again, considering, of course, the mindset as well, that the concerns, the worries that, you know, the, the grief of an ectopic pregnancy where you may not even have known you were pregnant. So you are in danger, in Mm. mortal danger. You may be hemorrhaging hugely and profusely. You have to have surgery out of a clear blue sky. It is so sudden and devastating. So, you know, clearing all of that from the system, that trauma, it is very traumatic. It's very sad loss. Yes. I just really feel for that person. And I I know people who have had have that happen and and thankfully have gone on to have babies afterwards. So it is possible. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. But giving yourself time to grieve and heal is really important. A lot of questions on IVF, not surprisingly. Uh, So I don't know. I'll I'll read a few and let's see which one resonates for you. how long to wait for a second embryo transfer after having a baby is one question. Another is we're thinking of doing IVF with the genetic screening as I'm 40 and I'm worried about chromosomal problems with my eggs. Is this the best option for us? Actually, maybe that one, maybe that question. Okay, for now. so I think, um, you know, with genetic screening, it is still regarded as an add on. There are queries around that. HEFA, H-E-F-A. The um, gov- regulatory body in UK has uh, reservations about it. They have a traffic light system for these add-ons. So worth checking out what they say about it. OK. Our friend's IVF hasn't worked again for the fourth time. What, what can we do to support them? We don't know what to say. That is so lovely yeah, to recognise and to understand that it is so devastating, so heartbreaking and that, you know, to want to not say idiotic things, to want to help them and to know that they do need help and support. This is a trauma, a loss, a grief. It is the loss in the moment and it is the loss of the future, the imagined future together. So I think, you know, the sense of acknowledging and just asking them, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? What would you like me to do? Is it a thing that you'd like to go for a walk? Is it a thing that you just like a chat? Is it a thing you'd like to be left alone? Will I, do you know what I mean? Finding out, as in any grieving situation, what that person wants at that moment. What was grand last week may not. It's like, no, I don't want to see anybody. Or no, do you know what? I want a Zoom call and we'll all have a glass of wine. Do you know what I mean? That it's, it's so changing moment to moment. Yeah. And I think that is so important because we're inclined to trot out platitudes. Ah, you can go again. Really insensitive, unhelpful thing. So I'm that's a that's a really thoughtful, beautiful question. And it's it's important that we all become a bit more aware of what we're saying. And our intention oftentimes is not to put our foot in it, but we can. So, yeah. Um, My sister has gone through IVF numerous times. What is the likelihood of struggling myself? Is there any link there when you spoke earlier about, uh, you know, the greatest indicator of her own fertility is her own mother and her mother, but siblings, sisters? It can be. But then again, it can be so different because the genetic makeup is very different because uh-huh. you have paternal DNA. So, you know, the person can just totally uh, be a, a literally different breed. 
Um, it's really not necessary. Um, you'd, you know, if she could have gone through it because her partner has had issues, um, you know, depending what the basic issues involved are, mm-hmm. whether it was a generic, you know, taking a while to get pregnant. So we just did it or whether there was medical issues in place. So being aware again of the medical history and, you know, a very important aspect as well that I am really passionate about is the role of insulin infertility and it's overlooked. Um, so, you know, the sense of not just blood glucose levels, but insulin levels um, and just checking out, you know, what the family medical history is like, what her sister has had, the differences between them. And again, even this awareness is wonderful because it means you're tuned into it already mm. and being proactive. Next question is, do you recommend ovulation kits and our fertility apps? They're very popular. And they have a role to play and they can be, you know, give a guideline, they can give an indicator and sometimes they may not be incredibly accurate. So I think we need to take a little bit of care with these. They're a useful adjunct, but I wouldn't totally rely on them yet. They're, it's still kind of early days. OK, questions on ovulation, AMH and, and, and all of that. I don't know if I'm ovulating, but what is the best method to find out if I am? Blood tests, blood tests and more blood tests. They are the, the definitive indicator seeing what the follicles and ovaries are up to. So that scans, scans and blood, scans and bloods really do. They're tedious, they're time consuming, they cost a bit. But honestly, you can see what's happening. Yes. And it's empowering. Yeah, I think so. Can you ovulate if you don't have a period or vice versa? Yes, indeed. It is. You ovulate first. So um, the period follows. So, yes, you can. And I'm not quite sure where somebody is going with this. Can you have a period without ovulating? Most certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very common problem. My periods are grand, so I must be ovulating. Yeah. Now, you can get physical signs of ovulation, but it doesn't always definitively say you have, you know, stretchy mucus and, uh, you know, watery mucus and, you know, all of these things. They're again, they're indicators. Okay, So again, it's back to going to your GP or going to a specialised doctor who can do specialised blood tests or scans. My cycle has been irregular for a few years now, fluctuating between 23 and 29 days. Is there something wrong or is this normal? Again, depending on age, uh, certainly I would like it a little bit more regular than that Mm -hmm. for conceiving purposes. Um, You can get a variability Uh, But that is, you know, that would be a very, very short cycle at 23 days. Okay, now a lot of questions on the grief of of subfertility, of infertility, um, of people who have babies and want a second and are are struggling now to get pregnant again. So uh, a question here is, how do I deal with the grief of infertility? I'm really struggling as I just want to be a mum. It is so incredibly heartbreaking when you're ready to start your family, ready to be a mother. And it's so deeply distressing, depressing and traumatic. And it is worth having someone outside your family or friend group to talk to. Mm. And 
you know, literally, I suppose, improving the mood, the well-being, reducing that anxiety, improving sleep. And in this in the same um, like it is a monthly grief. It is in your face every single month. It's relentless and very, very draining. And you see other people who may have got married at the same time yourself, partnered up and they're on a second or a third child and you're delighted for them, but you feel lonelier and more isolated and sidelined than ever. It's mm-hmm. it's really tough. It's it's tough for you to see your partner ready for a child and it's not happening and you feel a responsibility. So it is a huge burden to bear. And certainly it is something, you know, that I help people with. And I, you know, the value of finding someone to talk to over a brief period of time to just help with all of that is hugely important for your mental health and your physical well-being as well. And that's where sessions with somebody like you really come into play here. That I mean, you can really feel it from this person, can't you, when you Absolutely. read the message? I mean, I use EMDR, which is specifically for trauma release really quickly, really gently so that, you know, the um, nearly the intrusive thoughts, the flashback feeling, the, you know, the awful feeling of being jealous of somebody else that normally you, you'd just be so happy and you feel bad about feeling these horrible feelings that don't belong to you. So being able to shift that thinking mm. quickly, sometimes, you know, for in my work, that's one of the most joyful things is someone say, you know, I just feel like myself again. Yeah, I love when you said that, you know, that these these feelings, these emotions don't belong to that person. They're not part of who they are. Yeah. And it's it's so alien to feel resentful, you know, another Facebook uh, announcement. pregnancy announcement, uh, you know, a, a gender reveal, you know, all these things are just it's like a death by a million cuts. Mm-hmm. It's so tough. And sometimes, you know, in the celebrations, people may appear to be a little bit sort of triumphalist and they obviously don't mean to be. So it's that awful alienation, that awful distance and the feeling of it's never going to happen for us and why us, why not us? So that is a huge part of the anxiety and depression that comes with dealing with these fertility issues. It, it's so big and we need to be far more sensitive. I will never ask another woman, do you have kids? Yeah. Because I don't know what her story is. And at some stage, if it's appropriate, we probably will you know, get to where we talk. But mm-hmm. this spurious thing that it's it's easy to just connect in there and it's like, you know, you don't know what, what's happening in somebody's life. And also, you know, the sensitivity for women, the feeling of protecting their partner, protecting their other half, mm-hmm. you know, the sense of I do, we don't want to admit to our parents, our in-laws that there is an issue. It is humiliating. It's alienating. We feel bad. The damage of pride. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's, you know, people who are adoring aunts and uncles who are, you know, so vibrantly part of a family and carrying this incredible burden. It's 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 huge. And their bravery is unbelievable. And their heartache is visible. Thank you. I, 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 uh, 
I can feel it every time I listen to you speak and you know that I have felt such healing from you. Um, you have that ability to heal, I think. Not I think, I know you do. Um, so thank you. I, I hope those listening who can relate to that and have felt the pain of miscarriage or are just simply not being able to get pregnant or whatever it feels for you that you get some comfort from Helena's words. And um, I suppose for those who want to get in touch with you, they can. They can contact you. They can book in a session in this strange time that we're in. We can do it all online, which is great. Yes, indeed. We're doing a lot on Zoom now, which yeah. is wonderful because I love clients to be at home in their jammies, in their bed or on the sofa. And really, it's it's um I mean, I had to go back to my association in Eat Humble Pie because I was adamantly opposed to this distance thing. And, you know, I've really found it to be incredibly engaging and warm and valuable. Mm. So, yes, I'm on Instagram, uh, not doing as much as I should, but you will catch updates there. And uh, then it's helenatobri.com. And uh, yeah, so it, it's been really lovely to be on with you, Sheila. I've loved it. So we've given a snapshot of some of the questions that came through, but there were some other areas that I wanted to touch on before we wrap up the conversation. And egg freezing was something that I didn't actually ask you about. What are your thoughts on that? Egg freezing is wonderful. It was particularly designed for people who were going through cancer treatment who could be rendered infertile. So freezing eggs, uh, it's interesting and it's useful. I think the crucial thing to remember is the timing of it. So people at the moment who are thinking of doing it are probably in their mid 30s. The ideal time to be freezing eggs is probably, you know, 25, 27, 28, 30. And there are issues with the length of time, not so much in Ireland, but the length of time you can actually hold. It's usually about 10 years. The thing with egg freezing is it's not a guarantee. And if you have eggs frozen and you are not going to use your own, that means you have to have IVF. So the eggs must first survive the thaw, which is not always, you know, there's about, I think, 12, 15% do. Okay. Then you go into IVF and then you're, you know, the figures again, the dropping. So it's tenuous. It's a very tenuous uh, pathway. It is um, quite expensive. You are going through IVF. You may have three or four rounds of it. The egg harvesting is done. It's the same drugs. It's just your eggs aren't being fertilized. So the there is a cost associated with it. There is, well, the, the storage cost isn't that terribly much. Um, so I suppose, you know, the sense of it's an outlier still. It's not mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, they will be improving it, I know. They already go, went from regular freezing to vitrif vitrification, which is ultra-fast, deep freezing. So it actually makes it like glass. But that's when the thaw issues come in. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an option. Um, and I suppose in the States, it's kind of egg freezing parties and a graduation present for your daughter type of thing. Um, but certainly not mainstream and certainly not guaranteed in any way, shape or form. And the age is crucial. I suppose that's the thing is as well, there are no guarantees with anything. 
whether you're trying naturally, whether you're doing IVF, none of us have a crystal ball. We're never really going to know how it's going to work out. And there is a lot of magic that has to seep in and and occur. So we just have to give it our best shot, uh, you know, prep. And then I, I like I think with all things, a huge part of it is surrendering and letting go. Um, and whatever that path is for you, whoever is listening, whatever feels right for you, whether it's investigating further along the blood tests and the hormone tests and all that, or whether you want to go into IVF, as long as you're empowered with the information, then, you know, at least you're making the right choice for you. Isn't that it? Absolutely. Helena, thank you so much for this. I've loved it. And thank you. I'm so delighted to have been on. If you'd like to contact Helena directly and book in a session, simply go to her website, helenatuberty.com. And as you can probably tell, I'd recommend her. She's intuitive, highly skilled, and you can have a session with her from the comfort of your own home. If you enjoyed our conversation, please show your support of the podcast by clicking follow, giving a rating and leaving a little comment. Thank you so much. This episode of Ready To Be Real Conversations was brought to you in partnership with Dr. Coys, who offer tasty nutritional chocolate and a range of free from cooking ingredients. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.